Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. struggle with fear is addressed so many times throughout the story of the Bible. And you know why? Because we encounter fear. And fear manifests itself in many, many ways. Obviously, you can actually feel the emotion of fear. But often other reactions, often anger, is actually a response to fear. Uh, passivity, uh, where you draw back and hide or you, you just don't care, can actually be a reaction of fear. It's too big of an issue to deal with. There's lots of different ways that we react to fear. And, and right now, in this, in this day and age, in this, in this year, 2020, my goodness, there's plenty enough to be afraid of. And we, as a pastoral team, really wanted to take some time and look at Scripture and see uh, uh, reasons and truths that we can respond to the issues that we're facing, whether they're personal, whether they're in our community, whether they're uh, in the world, uh, and not fear. <clears throat> but when someone's afraid, if you just walk up to them and say, quit being afraid, you know, that doesn't necessarily help. Like if somebody's worrying, you just go, quit worrying, what's wrong with you, you whip? <laughs> we need reasons. We need uh, 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 truths that we can cling to so that when fear comes, or when issues we're faced and we're challenged to respond in ways that that reflect fear, we can stand on other things. And so we've been talking about a number of different things. Last week, Mark talked about Pastor Mark talked about we don't need to fear because the end of the story. Because we we may not know the end of the story, but in the end of the story, we're victorious. And today, we need not fear because. The enemy is defeated. Alright? The enemy is already defeated. So we're just going to look at a few scriptures that reinforce this truth so that when we are either encountering fear personally or we're talking or, or, or communicating with someone who's in the midst of a fearful situation, we can communicate them to them, hey, the truth is the enemy's already defeated. This is kind of a longer uh, passage of Scripture, but I'm going to read through it and then talk through a few points. It's from 2 Kings 6.8. It's really one of the funnest stories, <clears throat> one of the more fun stories in Scripture. There's a lot of fun stories, uh, but this is definitely one of them. Uh, the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servant saying, my camp will be in such and such a, uh, such and such a place. I wonder if he actually said that. No. He told him the place where his camp was going to be. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told them. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So what happened there is the prophet, the man of God, prophetically knew where the uh, Syrian king was going, sent the message to the king of Israel, said, don't go to that place. The king of Israel sent uh, one of his soldiers or spies to verify that. And sure enough, 
the, the Syrians were there, and so the Israeli army didn't go to that place. And this didn't just happen once or twice, but it's like this was what, what was going on. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's the traitor here? Who's the mole? Who's leaking the uh, confidential military information to the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elijah, the prophet who is, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> and so they knew that it was this prophet, prophet that was actually revealing the inner counsel of the king of Syria. And so the king of Syria said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told to him, saying, Surely he's in Dothan. Therefore the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, the, the prophet, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Do not fear. Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are on our side are more than who are on their side. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Isn't that great? It's a great story. Um, And, uh, you know, there was definitely enough there uh, uh, to be afraid of. The servant's reaction was not inappropriate. Okay? Um, There was plenty to be afraid of. They were surrounded by the enemy. Uh, In the natural, they were completely outnumbered. But Elijah knew the spiritual reality. Okay? What the servant could not see. And the reality is, and, and was then and is now, that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So no matter how uh, great or powerful or influential the enemies that we are facing as Christ followers, as the church, as representative of the kingdom and principles and truths of God, we look out into the world, we might think, oh my goodness, the whole world is, 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 is raging. You know, in the Psalms it says the nations rage. You know what God does in response? I think it's Psalm 2. He laughs. Psalm 2 or Psalm 3. God laughs at that. Because they're powerless in the face of God's power. And, And our enemies are outnumbered by the reality of the spiritual forces that far outnumber any enemy that we face, whether it be uh, fleshly enemies, whether it be demonic influences in our lives, whether it be principles or problems that we're facing, economic troubles. Listen, saints, like Elijah's servant, hear the command, do not fear. 
Because more are with us than against us. Amen? And we need to carry that into the battle. Whatever problems we're facing, I pray that your eyes and my eyes and our eyes and the eyes of the church in this day see the reality that we have already won. Right? And uh, the, uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, right? the Bible says God raises up a standard. When there's an onslaught of opposition, that is an opportunity. Alright? Rather than fear, you need to say, hey, this is an opportunity to demonstrate if you believe this to be true. Alright? To press into the reality of our position in Christ. That nothing can move us. You know, the Bible says not, no one can take us out of His hand. That there's nothing that the enemy can throw or the world can throw against us or against His church or against the purposes of God to derail His purpose and His plan for us. And so that, that's talk, that talks about who we are in Christ and our position is stable regardless. And that just like Elijah had to pray for the servant's eyes to be opened up, our eyes need to be opened up and see the reality, the, perspective, the heavenly perspective of what's going on and not be overcome like the servant and cry out, Oh, what shall we do? Oh, no! Yeah. Can you just see the picture of that, that young man going freaking out and the old man of God coming out of his cave going, Hey, dude, Oh, God, open his eyes. And he sees this uh, other army that was invisible to the natural eye, but just as real. In fact, it's more real. Because the natural enemies that we face, whether it be secular humanism or, 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 or the, uh, those who influence our culture to... Uh, and, and sway them in, into ungodly ways. All of those things are temporary. Any person in any form of political power, natural power, their days are numbered. But God's army never changes. He doesn't get tired, all right. And they and they, they their 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 battle is sure, and their purpose is unchanging. And we are aligned with them. Whatever battle we go into, we need to go into realizing that the enemy is already defeated. And that changes. Changes how you feel. Changes what you think. Changes how you operate. You know, if you know that no matter what happens, you are invincible. It's like Iron Man. I don't know if you ever watched that movie. <laughs> you know, the superhero movies. Superman wasn't afraid of the criminals on the street because they couldn't do anything to harm him. Right? But this is, a, you know, that's fiction, that's cartoons. This is truth. There's nothing the enemy of the world can do to harm us. They're already defeated. So that means we can walk into the battle with a confidence that doesn't provoke us to anger or fear or name-calling or, 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 you know, uh, uh, um, practices that actually are detrimental to the goals or, or, or operate in a way that's contradictory to the character of Christ. We can come like Jesus and communicate love and peace and truth and even joy in the midst of people uh, operating 
in ways that are um, contrary to the purposes of God. You know, the same, <clears throat> same idea is communicated in another Old Testament story, and um, uh, this is found in 2 Chronicles 32. Um, this is Hezekiah, the king of Judah, uh, the other uh, nation of, uh, of the Hebrews at this time, uh, when they were surrounded by the armies of Assyria. So Assyria and Assyria, two different nations. <clears throat> so this is a battle with the nation of Assyria. And they had surrounded the entire city of Jerusalem in a siege, and they were uh, intent on destroying the city. And the king stood up and said, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. Ah, it's the same words that Elijah said in that other story that happened when they were facing the Syrians. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by Hezekiah king of Judah. So we have a choice when we're facing an onslaught of the enemy. We can be strong and courageous or we can be afraid and dismayed. And when you're dismayed, you don't know what to do. And you result to crazy things. But when you're strong and courageous, you you are unchanging. You stand firm. You're not dissuaded by uh, the direction you're going. Courage is not the absence of fear. This is really important to understand. It's a response to face the fear with strength. If there's nothing to be afraid of, you don't need courage. Alright? When you're sitting at home watching the TV show, you don't really need a lot of courage. When everything's going good, out fishing on the lake, you don't need a lot of courage. But when the whole world seems to be falling apart, or when you're, uh, you know, encountering someone that's, uh, you know, screaming in your face, or when you're dealing with a sickness that they say is incurable, or when you're facing uh, a relational breakdown that you don't know how to respond to, uh, all of these things in life are fearful. Those armies are real. The city was actually besieged. <laughs> right? And they, and, and they needed to respond with courage in the face of fear. So courage, actually, God allows fearful things to come into our lives so that we can discover how to be courageous. Right? It's in us through His Holy Spirit. But you need to learn how to tap into that. And that's what this message is all about, how to stand up and be men and women of God that have the confidence that the enemy is already defeated and we do not fear. And there's two truths that are brought out in Hezekiah's uh, statement. One, of course, is that the God's armies outnumber the, other, uh, the enemy's armies. <clears throat> and this is always true. No matter what the circumstance is, God is always the majority. Right? He's the, he, his, he and the angels of uh, heaven's army is the majority. His forces outnumber anything the world or the enemy throws at us. And just to be really clear and apply it to our day, 
You know, we're facing a tumultuous election. There's lots of political issues going on concerning the pandemic. There's the pandemic itself and all the debates about, you know, how real is it? How powerful is it? How much do we need to be concerned about? And this is all of this stuff. And you know what? I have not even one ounce of fear that God's purposes are going to be accomplished regardless of what happens in the natural because I ally myself with God. Are the enemies real? Absolutely. As real as those Assyrians were outside the city of Jerusalem, as real as the Syrian army was outside the camp of Elijah. But the bigger truth and the more important truth is that the spiritual reality is true and that we are surrounded by a heavenly army that is unable to even be touched by the influence of the world. All right, And that should give us confidence that when we step into whatever battle that we are representing the kingdom of God and righteousness and truth and peace and love and joy, that we come with heaven's armies. And the message of hopelessness, of despair, of fear, of, of uh, opposition, of, of, uh, of, of removing the uh, 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 Kingdom of God principles, they don't have a chance. All right? And that changes how I think about every circumstance. The other truth that Hezekiah's uh, statement reveals is that the enemy is fleshly. It's world. It's the strength of a man's arm. All right? That means it's limited. Where our help is the Lord our God. He never runs out. He's eternal. He's omnipotent. And so we lean into the eternal, omnipotent, uh, almighty strength of God. And we need, as Christ followers, to learn how to stand in the strength of His authority and power and not lean to our own understanding, right? Or to principles that are worldly-based. Okay, that are merely uh, um, uh, fabrications or aspects of our society. I love the United States, but my hope is not in the Constitution. All right, it's been great for the last 270, 80 years, but it's not the Bible. All right, and Christianity existed for you know almost 2,000 years before that. And I hope that this great, awesome nation continues, you know, certainly far long after I'm dead and gone. But it's the constitution of the kingdom, the, the, the God's Word, that will never fail. Alright? Does this make sense? And so the, the, the biblical truths that this nation is built on, yes, we defend. Because they're biblical truths. But our hope is in God's army. And the truth is, when we walk in that, that confidence, we don't have to fear the threats of the enemy because His kingdom will not be moved. And as long as we're in His kingdom, we will not be moved. Paul says the same thing in uh, the New Testament where he's talking to the Christians, the church. In Corinth, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So, what is the things of the flesh? 
You know, certainly that means, you know, we don't get in a fist fight to convince someone that, to become a Christ follower. Or we don't beat up someone just because they're, 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 they're not a Christian. Okay? But it also means we don't use fleshly weapons like uh, armies. That those, don't, those don't accomplish the purposes of God. Uh, for our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. In other words, the weapons we use, the spiritual weapons, are far more mighty than any natural weapon. And I would include in this, and I'm not saying that uh, uh, um, legislation isn't important. Yes, we defend that. We fight for godly legislation. We fight for uh, the, the, the laws of our nation to represent the character and the nature and the purposes of God. But we must realize that ultimately it doesn't come down to that, that we win through the power of God's might. And God's, God's purposes are not derailed by the, um, the, the, the mood swings, <laughs> the cultural back and forth tides in our nation, in our world that we see in the media or even in the politics. We stand firm and know that God has a way and we, and we don't budge. All right? Because our weapons are not carnal. They're mighty in God. We have authority to pray into the issues that our nation is facing, to pray into the issues that uh, our culture is facing, our society, our community, our families, our neighbors. We can pray into those situations and we can communicate the truth of God's Word. And those things have power to dismantle every, uh, every um, strategy of the enemy that tries to corrupt our communities and tries to corrupt the lives of those we love. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, the, the weapons that God has entrusted to you are spiritual weapons that have the power to actually bring thoughts that are contrary to God. And these are thoughts in every realm um, social, <coughs> economic, uh, uh, media, government, business, all of these different, um, some people describe them as mountains or uh, spheres of influence. Our weapons have the ability to bring those, uh, those, those thoughts, the ideas, captive to the truth and the person of Jesus Christ. How does that work? I can't explain how the details work. All I'm trying to say is when we engage not in fear but in confidence knowing that when we stand strong in the truth representing Christ as Scripture commands us to, in the end we will win because the truth is the enemy is already defeated. Does that make sense? Alright, and I hope this, this whole series, this whole month that we're talking about fear not is to, to encourage us to, to have things to stand on so that we're not pushed back into a corner into fear of anything. There's nothing that can come against His people or His church uh, that we need to be afraid of. Why? Because the enemy is already defeated. John addresses the same idea uh, when he writes his letter. And the Apostle John was the longest living of all the disciples. 
according to church history, and um, <clears throat> and especially his his letters have a different tone. They're definitely called the Apostle of Love. It says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God." Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. So any spirit that does not confess the reality of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now already is in the world. The Bible clearly states there's an Antichrist spirit already in the world. We're fighting that. This was written 2,000 years ago. Is there going to be a single individual that represents the Antichrist according to the book of Revelation? Uh, Yeah, that's a different aspect. But the truth is there's already spirits of Antichrist that we're engaged in battle with. And as a church, we're called to fight against those. But this is how we fight with this attitude. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Wow, that's a truth that can push back fear. The reality is, He who is in me is greater than He who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, and uh, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All right, and so for most, uh, especially the early years of my Christianity, I got saved into a what I would call a hyper charismatic church. Um, uh, it was very uh, interesting. <laughs> a lot of um, casting out of demons and um, saw some amazing things. And I saw some incredible deliverances where people were set free. Um, and I always understood that this idea of a spirit confessing that Jesus came in the flesh, I always interpreted that scripture very specifically applying to dealing with uh, uh, spiritual warfare and casting out demons and, and, or uh, specifically to judging uh, doctrines. So I don't know if you realize this, but in the first century, uh, the evidence of Jesus performing miracles was so overwhelming that there was a whole sect of people that believed that Jesus was God that he was actually an, a, a god, like one of the other gods that were worshipped during that time, but didn't believe that he was actually human. And so this verse is uh, obviously addressing the theological truth that Jesus, God the Son, came and dwelt in a bodily form. He was fully human and fully God. That is a, uh, a non-negotiable truth of Christianity that Jesus was not just some ascended master coming down and doing miracles. He took on human form so that a human could die sinless as the payment for the penalty of the sins of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. 
And so when John talks about that Jesus came in the flesh, he's referring to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so any spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, human, who lived as a sinless human and then was uh, wrongfully arrested, crucified, and died for our sin to take the penalty And not only the penalty of our sin, but He took the power of that sin so that we're freed from that sin on that cross. And then He was buried and then He rose from the dead victorious. That's the message of the Gospel. That's the truth that we believe that sets us free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and the shame of sin. And so if there's anyone that's not making that, that that's not the message that they're proclaiming, then it's actually an antichrist. All right? Now today, prophets aren't limited to people in churches prophesying. Uh, the news, media, other forms of media, Facebook, have you heard of that thing? YouTube, Twitter, I don't even do Twitter. I can't figure it out. I tried a couple of times. <laughs> Constantly barraging us in the world with versions of what they proclaim are true. And so they might not say, thus saith the Lord, but if they're saying, this is true, this is true, this is true, they're prophesying. And you need to judge that prophecy by saying, is there a primary message that Jesus conquered sin and Satan and the world through His death on the cross? Or is it something else? Are you going to trust that? Are you going to ally yourself with them if they're not proclaiming the message of victory that Jesus accomplished, I I would say don't don't align with someone who's not preaching. That's what John was saying in that message. It's Jesus Christ in the flesh, crucified, buried, and risen. That's got to be the primary message that gives us hope to endure whatever obstacle is uh, attacking us or attacking our community or attacking our nation. That must be the focus of the message Uh, It doesn't matter whether they're Christians or not, uh, whether they claim to be Christians or not. If they're promoting a version, uh, a message that isn't primarily emphasizing the victory that we have through the uh, shed blood of Jesus Christ, then I, I exhort you, don't give them much authority in your life. You know, certainly you can be informed of uh, opinions concerning other things, but the authority that that gives you, uh, that you allow that in your life, must be way, way lower than the authority and the confidence that you have in the risen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His victory over sin and death. Does that make sense? All that other stuff is just like background static. But the trumpet call is the message of Jesus Christ that He rose and that we will rise with Him uh, in the end. <clears throat> Barnes, the same... Uh, well, in my other message, I quoted him too, but you didn't hear that, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, when I was speaking on uh, <clears throat> uh, Fear Not uh, a few weeks ago up in Kalamazoo, but this commentator actually lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. So he was alive during the uh, 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 American Revolution in the early days of, of our nation. He says, Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 
Uh, God who dwells in your heart and by whose strength and grace alone you have been enabled to achieve this victory is more mighty than Satan who rules the hearts of the people of this world whose seductive arts are seen in the efforts of these false teachers. Can you imagine if Barnes was alive today and saw the seductive arts of the media and the world uh, that, that are being used to uh, influence our society. He was saying this, and all they had was, uh, you know, people speaking and, and written text. And today we're bombarded with messages and full multimedia and constantly in our pockets we carry around a computer that can say anything to anybody in a way that is uh, uh, hard to not believe. You know, it's just like we have too much information. But he who is within us is greater than all of those influences in the world. The apostle meant to say that it was by no power of their own that they achieved this victory, but it was traced solely to the fact that God dwelt among them and had preserved them by His grace. Why do we have this confidence? Because we're some great intellectual force or we're some great uh, power? No, but because of the indwelling of God's Spirit. And it's grace that we can stand up to the enemy. What was, uh, Barnes says, what was true then is true now. And I would say what, what, what Barnes said 250 years ago was true is true now. He who dwells in the hearts of Christians by his spirit is infinitely more powerful, more mighty than Satan, the ruler of darkness of this world. And victory, therefore, over all of his arts and temptations may be sure. In this conflict with sin, temptation, or error, the Christian should never despair, for God will ensure his victory. And so if Jesus Christ, it says in one place that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the enemy. If Jesus was able to destroy Satan, was able to destroy sin, was able to destroy death itself, is there any enemy that we need fear? Now, there's no agenda, there's no uh, media that we need to fear. Do we need to stand up and, 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 and communicate truth? Yes! But not from a posture of fear or terror or intimidation, but from a posture of, uh, of solid confidence in God that communicates truth in a way that, is, uh, that, that draws people in and doesn't push people away. Does that make sense? That's the change in the heart. Whoa! If they're watching on, uh, on, on Facebook, they just got slain in the Spirit. <laughs> they're on the floor. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to close with this verse because uh, I feel that this is really the application. Um, it says, uh, this is found in Timothy, Paul writing the, a pastor. Actually, was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And so, <clears throat> um, the spirit of fear is what the enemy comes with. The spirit of fear is what our flesh responds to when we see um, the enemy or when we see obstacles or we see something that confuses us. But God hasn't given that spirit to us. Instead, He's given us a spirit, His Holy Spirit. And here this, this uh, Bible describes a little bit more of the Holy Spirit's work. 
and that he's the spirit of power. And that's a Greek word, dunamis. It means power residing in something by virtue of its nature. And so because God is in us, we have God's nature reproduced in us. A moral excellence of soul and the power to perform miracles. That means that even if it, if it takes a, a supernatural act of God to overcome the enemy, that's residing within us. We can have confidence that we, we, can, we can do that. We can believe God to miraculously change the circumstances. And so think of a situation where you felt powerless. Or in the next week or two, if you feel powerless, you need to tap into the truth that God is in you and who is in you is greater than who is in the world. And there's no situation where we need to approach uh, uh, from the uh, perspective of being powerless. We are actually powerful. Right? And so, just to share how this has played out in my life recently, in the last month or so, I had a few things happen to me. I had a lot of things happen to me, but I'm just going to share a couple of things. And like most of them, not most of them, uh, well, yeah, actually, uh, in the last few months, I've had more distressing things happen to me than I, I, can, I can't even keep track of them. But a couple of outstanding ones was my, my car, which was only two years old, uh, which I got a great deal on. It was a 2018 um, that I bought in 2018, but it was used. Uh, and so I got a used, so I saved like $6,000 off this car just because someone had bought it and then they had, to, they had to return it. And I just happened to be there uh, the day after and got it. It was a really good car. It's 52 miles a gallon. <clears throat> it's a hybrid <clears throat> and it's comfortable, full size. And um, uh, it was totaled. And it was my fault, which was really bad. <laughs> I can tell you the whole story of the accident. Uh, it was just we were both stopped. It was a four-way stop, and I, I I I rolled forward, and he clipped me. And but because I rolled forward, it was my fault. It's the first time I've ever been in a car accident, and I totaled a car that I loved, and it was only two years old. I was like, Gah. you know. And so I went through the whole hassle of three weeks without a car and negotiating with the insurance company. And in that same period of time. I'm sitting in my downstairs office, and we have the large. We had the largest tree on our street, this big giant pine tree. And there was a windstorm, and I watch it fall on my house. Yeah, it fell slowly. <laughs> Seriously, it was like it just kind of laid down, uh, and it did thirty thousand dollars worth of damage. Thirty thousand dollars. I'm like, oh, what else, you know? And then because it ruined the gutters of our house, every time it rains, it floods in our basement. And it took a month for the insurance company and the contractor to negotiate a settlement. And then the contractor said, great, it'll be the soonest we'll get to it is two months. And so the roof of my house is covered with a tarp and the squirrels are getting in and rain's leaking in, right? <clears throat> you know, and all of those things, not once did I feel as though I was a victim? I never said, why is this happening to me? I never said, what did I do wrong? Actually, that idea didn't even come to my mind. It was like, wow, trees fall out of my house. Hmm. We got in, I got in the accident, I got out of the car, and I was like, 
How did that happen? I go through this intersection every single day. You know, I still don't know how it happened. You know, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not disempowered by that. I'm like, eh. It's just the stuff of life. You know, I'm not going to let it get to me. And it all works out. God provides. I got a brand new car. 2020. It's actually the first time I've ever had a brand new car. Like it had no miles on it when they picked it up. Like because it was, and uh, and it's less. The payment is less than the one I had on the on the 2018. So God works things together for good. All right. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so I don't feel disempowered. Don't go into the why me, why me. Spirit of love is uh, affection, goodwill, benevolence. And so when we encounter people or situations where we want to respond uh, harshly and not out of love, we need to tap into that spirit of, of love that indwells within us. And I'm just going to tell you, this happened quite a few years ago, but um, <clears throat> um, I had did something and the person in the church misinterpreted what I did. It wasn't even something I said. It was my behavior. And um, they felt as though I didn't like them, that I was mad at them. The difficulty was that they waited over a year to come and talk to me about it. And during that year, it just grew in their mind. And it became this bigger and bigger issue. And I knew there was something between us, but I didn't know what. And so I couldn't even know how to respond to it. And finally, this individual came and made an appointment and sat down and said, you know, this happened and it just shows that you don't like me, that you are judgmental. And they're going through this litany of stuff and I'm going, I'm sorry, but I don't know what you're talking about. And as they described the situation, thankfully I remembered it. And it was a, it was a, 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 actually it was a Sunday morning where a whole bunch of things wasn't working. The sound system wasn't working. The furnace went out. You know, somebody didn't show up to do kids ministry. And I'm trying to solve these 15 problems. And I, I blew past them and didn't give them any attention. And I could have responded and said, you idiot self-centered person. Don't you realize I was trying? But I didn't. I listened to them. And I explained, I'm so sorry I did that. You know, I was not loving. And if that ever happens, don't, 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 don't wait so long. Come and talk to me. You know, and, and so I rebuilt trust. And that's operating out of the spirit of love and not uh, allowing accusations that were unfounded to cause me to retaliate. All right? So one last thing is the spirit of a sound mind. So the Holy Spirit equips us to be powerful, equips us to be loving, and equips us with a sound mind. Real quick, that means rational, thoughtful, not swayed by the opinions of others, disciplined and under self-control. So I'm going to tell a story uh, uh, from my past. This again was quite a few years ago. I don't want to say anything recent because I'm still working on it. <laughs> As a pastor, you got to share things a little longer, unless it's victorious. Uh, so this is a, a number of years. My son William, who's, who's now 21, he was about 13 or 14, and um, I came home, and my daughter had left out her ukulele that I'd spent quite a bit of money on, and I didn't want it to get broke. And I said, "Will, could you please put Emily's ukulele in her bedroom?" And as any good 13-year-old does, uh, he ignored me and didn't do it. And so, 30, 40 minutes later, an hour later, I come by, and it's like, it's still sitting there. And I'm like, hey, Will, do me a favor. Put that in then Emily's room. I don't want to get broke. You know? And I go out of my way, and da-da-da-da-da. 
Uh, and uh, an hour later, I come back, and William's sitting there on the couch playing the ukulele. And <clears throat> I firmly grabbed the 13-year-old boy, planted him against the wall, and I said, when I tell you to do something, you don't postpone it, and you don't play around, you do it. And I dropped him. And I walked upstairs to the kitchen where Kathy was. At this point, I was shaking a little bit. I said, Kathy, I think I just blew it. She was like, what? I said, I just lost my temper with Will. Uh, and uh, I cooled down. Uh, went downstairs. I said, William, what I just did to you was a thousand times worse than the small disrespect that you showed me. I lost control. I was not operating out of a sound mind. I was irrational. Um, I Keep in mind, I was paying music teachers a significant amount of money to teach my son how to play instruments. And he's there practicing an instrument. And I freak out because I'm frustrated that he didn't uh, jump and do something I asked him the first time. It was out of proportion to what he did, and I was wrong. And I had to ask him forgiveness. And so when we act out of proportion to the behavior that people do toward us, when we explode, when we lose control, that's not operating out of the Holy Spirit. And I had to repent of that and say, William, you know, you need to obey when I tell you something, but if I freak out like that, I'm wrong. That, that was wrong to use carnal strength to try to uh, implement godly character. Uh, not that, not that uh, corporal punishment is wrong. I, I, I'm a firm believer in that when done in appropriate ways. Um, but that was not appropriate. I, I lost control. And so I had to repent. <clears throat> and so we need to realize that in every situation, whether it's dealing with our kids, dealing with the government, dealing with a neighbor that's being obnoxious, whatever it might be, we have power. We walk into the uh, situation with power, with love, and self-control. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank You that You've given us uh, Your Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's not on loan. It's actually given to us that, and You promised that You would never leave us or forsake us. It's not just by us. You've given Your Spirit in us. Wherever our feet go, You have given it to us. We're victorious every day, everywhere. And I pray that as Christians, we would walk in that power, loving, and, uh, and soundness of mind to better reflect You. In the name of Your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright, so do we have like a prayer team? I forget. Is there a prayer team now or no? So, not now. We're just dismissed for fellowship. Uh, and uh, God bless you. Thank you for coming. And saints, in this time, let's be the church and, 